Abed and all hope, listeners. You're listening to Radio Grognard, the OSR podcast about stuff with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hiya, folks. Old Man Grognard here. Happy Wednesday and Happy New Year. We have recorded 2021. We made it. So, hey, you guys have a great New Year and hope you're all doing well. I'm doing well. Well, no, actually, I'm not doing well. This one. I'm starting to catch a cold. I did not have a good night last night. Sinus problems and things like that. If I sound a little stuffy, that's why. It's one of those colds that's kind of sneaking up on you, if you know what I mean. Man, I was in such sinus pain last night, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, on to gaming. Well, I've got a voicemail this morning, and then I'm going to continue about a little bit more about my world, because I don't think I covered it enough for uh, for John's sake. But, and I hope you're interested in it, so I will talk about that after this. Okay, uh, on... On to, on to other business. We have a voice. I have a voicemail from Josh Beckelheimer, and he commented on the last show about about my world and me giving control of the players. Go ahead, Josh. Hey, Josh Beckelheimer here. I really enjoyed hearing about your little campaign setting, and I love how you give control to your players. Because, I mean, as a GM, you have a lot more stuff to do and worry about. But letting the players take control in some of the world building is very helpful. And not only that, you get to be surprised and you get to figure out things that you didn't know that was going to be there. And I, I really enjoy that aspect of giving players control because it keeps the GM also feeling like he's a player as well. Because you don't know what's coming just as much as the players do. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. And yeah, it's like I will take help or inspiration anywhere I can. Anywhere. Even if it's, you know, the, it's, especially if it's the players. I mean, I get a lot of inspiration during play. They're going through an area I really haven't defined, and then they just go through it, and I start. But I mean, I have a, I have my own ideas, too, but if I can add theirs to the mix, that it's even great. It's even better. I, you know, it's like I establish the base, then they put the ingredients in. That kind of thing, and it comes up, it comes up really, really grand. It's a lot of fun. But anyway, thank you, thank you, Josh, for that email. Okay, as far as my world goes, like I said, it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's about the size of an eight and a half by eleven. No, it's about the size. It's one of those left coast worlds, like the Middle Earth map and others. I tend to do those. Not just because of you know it, you know Tolkien did it, but because the fact that I'm from California, so I know about a left coast, and I believe it's it's about the size my the area I'm dealing with. I'm just dealing with part of a continent. The area I'm dealing with is probably about the size of Brazil, or maybe even bigger. I'm not sure. I haven't measured it lately. Distances. I'm terrible about distances. I finally established in the hex, I do 26 miles a hex. 
And that seemed to get where we were going because when I when I started the cattle drive campaign, that was a really f- the first real campaign with this world. So I had to figure out, okay, they're going to be traveling so many miles a day, and so how many hexes would that be, and how long would it take them to get to where there was, you know, where the next adventure starts? I mean, I can have adventures along the way, and I have done that. But if I want to get them to the next main stopping point. How many hexes away are they? Because distance, like I said, distance is hard for me. It really is. Not that I don't. Not that I don't have any conception of it. It's just I can't decide. It's hard to decide on how far is too far. If you know what I mean. Let's see what else. It's got a mountain range about two thirds of the way through it called the Dragon Blood Mountains, and there is one pass, Dragon Pass. Now, aside from the aforementioned, aside from the aforementioned railroad that the dwarves have that nobody else knows about, which I don't think is right, but I'm going to let that ride. I mean, and, and the dwarves, the dwarves have their citadel in there too, in the upper part. They're uh, they're in their stone. <laughs> my my memory's real bad this morning. <laughs> Uh, here we go. Look it up. Main Dwarven Citadel is Stonehead. Stonehead? Okay, Stonehead. I'll roll with it. There's a couple of... There's like a huge forest called the Yodeling Wood on the west side next to the, the Dragonblood Mountains. On the other side, there's a couple of for, small forests. Plus, we have we have the Satan's Fist and Castle Stonewolf. Uh, the Claw Forest, where that whole thing where I said... You know, Thaco's hammer helped me with that. Parched dunes. See, I didn't. I didn't do it. like you can see the upper sea over here, just a little bit of it, just where it empties out. Someday I may. I may elaborate on this. Oh, okay. What is it like there? I favor steampunk. I do have a limited form of technology in my games, including firearms, but it's of all of the clockwork and steam variety. There are steam rifles, and I don't know, not steam, but air rifles and air pistols in abundance, not in abundance, but I mean, you know, just most people have swords and stuff and bows and still, but every once in a while, you know, like a steam, uh, steam, there I go again, an air pistol will pop up and like ships have steam cannons. I even had a, I even recorded a sound effect from my soundboard when I play the, what a steam cannon sounds like when it fires. Pretty neat. So I like the steampunk. Wizards are dabblers in this too. Gnomes, I have gnomes in my world. And let's go through the races here. Okay, dwarves, pretty much your basic garden variety dwarf. And they tend to have a little bit of mechanical knowledge. They are they are like engineers and things like that. And but they do stonework and things like that too. Elves well, elves are elves. I didn't really elaborate on elves, and I'm sure I'm going to come up with something in the future, but they're your basic variety of elves. Halflings tend to take towards the merchant class. And you know how they say all dwarves are Scottish because people play them that way? Actually, I, I, I do different dialects for dwarves. I don't all do, do Scottish like this. And the elves are somewhat english type thing. For some reason, halflings are Jewish in my world. I don't know why. It just turned out that way. These a couple of halfling merchants popped up and I started playing like 
playing them like altercockers, like New York uh, Exante Jews, Russian Jews, Exante Jews. You know, you walk into their shop and say, well, well, what have we here? Here, come here. I want to show you something. You know, that kind of thing. I, I'm very affected by, by, by the media and Broadway and, you know, what I grew up with. So, you know, the, the, if you're not, if I'm not careful, the halflings turned into, to borscht belt comedians or that kind of thing. Very borscht belt. Uh, what else do I have in my world that's kind of unique? Oh, I have a family of merchants that are spread out over my land. I do this in my Swords of Wizardry campaign to the annoyance of my players because I get a kick out of it. They usually run like magic shops or general stores and stuff like that, but they're all the same family and they all sound like Gilbert Gottfried. You know, they'll walk in the stores and say, Oh, you've seen my brother. Come here. I'm going to show you something. Here, I'll give you, you know my brother? I'll give you a special discount. You know, that kind of thing. So it's a lot. Like I said, I have a lot of fun with these games. And everything is tongue-in-cheek. But it's still kind of serious. I mean, you have serious problems you have to deal with. I mean, at the finale of the, the cattle drive, they had to stop this old vampire from summoning Orcus. So there are serious stuff in there. But like I said, things like the mid... I also run the Midderlands when I can. I sort of bounce back and forth. I like the Midderlands because it's got, already got a lot of stuff that I can draw from. I, a, lot of, a lot of plot hooks and things like that. In fact, I'm thinking, I might think I'm taking a few plot hooks from there and, and put it in my world and see what happens. You know, never, never pass up the, <laughs> the chance to steal an idea or something like that. You know, it's, uh, you know, just steal a little, just a little. So, let's see, what else? Looking over my world here, I have just like city, states, and towns. There isn't really any central government that I know of. I should probably establish one. But it has not gotten to that point. And it just... It, I just haven't. It's, I've, you know, the North Shield Wall with all these keeps protecting people from the scorched lands. You know, what's that all about? Who runs that? What government runs that, if any? Maybe it's a, a co-op between the city-states or something like that. That's something to think about. The Yodeling Wood, that's where I put Kyer Dune. Kyer Dune, to me, is a, like I said, a... It's a meeting place city because it's in the middle of the woods, but it's close enough to the Dragon Blood Mountains where, like, the elves and dwarves can get together if they have any kind of business or something like that. This is a city that elves and rangers built. So you see a lot of things like buildings built to favor the tree next to it or something or built in a tree. Not so much in a tree, but they, they, if the elves let it. But it's kind of a co-op place. And so it's it's a real it's a real melting pot, I should say. And I have the occasional unusual character like a say an ogre that would be a an ogre that would be a not a player character, but an NPC, a friendly ogre, something like that. And of course I've got the friendly vampire who's Castle Stonewolf. It was his grandfather who was trying to re- resurrect Orcus, by the way. And you know, I got a town. I got a town that you know uses zombies as labor. So there's that. Uh, 
I'm I want to develop like lobster tail and mule mules where the 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 cattle drive starts, and also over by the upper sea, I've got Fishside, Chowdertown, uh, Louisville, not Louisville, Louis Town, and Lake Louis and Ethel's Mouth. Louis is this merchant prince, this guy who you know he's a ro- he was a robber baron. He be- I think he has uh, I think he has like a coster or something like that, merchant coster, and. You know, I think of it as a very, a very Ralph Cramdeny type guy, and Ethel's Mouth is the town across from it, named after his ex-wife. He named it after his ex-wife just to tick her off. And there's Lake Louie, and it's got him out into the middle, and it's like, oh, this is Lake Louie, and you know, everything's. He's got a really big ego and things like that, and he's just like a blowhard. He's fun. fun. I'm going to develop him more. You know, and, and that area around Chowdertown and Louisetown. I got a lot of things going. I got a lot of places to have things go on, which is nice. That's what I want. So that's the whole point of having a a land like that. You, you know, you just, I mean, I was lucky to find that map, and then I just reworked it into something I could use that would suit me. And, you know, I kept about a half a dozen of town names, and I added a few. I've added a few more towns around. It didn't even have a forest. I added the forest. That was all plains. I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe they didn't want forests in their game, so I had to add a little foliage. But anyway, that's kind of my my world that just sort of sprung up, not really whole, but thanks to a inspiration of a map, I've got a nice world, and bluff sides in there too. So. Take of that what you will. Go on and create something like that. I've got to go start my day. So, until, I, until I'm getting ready to sign off already. I want. I just want to say, if you want to talk about this or anything, oldmangrognar at gmail.com, or you can dr- drop a voicemail on Anchor. And thanks to being monetized, little as 99 cents a month, you too can support this program, and I would thank you. And thank you again, Jonathan Dorje, Wendell Jessen, Oliver Shriek, Mark C. Walring, Gilbert Soares, Juan Carlos Llewellyn, Daniel Reynolds, Dan Gregg, and Benjamin Benjamin Brodel. <laughs> i got to read my own handwriting. Benjamin Brodel. You guys are great. Don't forget Mark C. Walring's The Yawning Albert Podcast on Anchor and Dan Craig's The Young Y-U-N-G Grognard Podcast. So, until I see you folks next time, keep the dice warm and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Questions? Comments? Send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. We'll see you next time when Radio Grognard is on the air. Radio Grognard.